creating demand, capturing demand, call it whatever you want to call it, but it's everywhere right now in the B2B marketing echo chamber on LinkedIn. And after a quick search on Google and YouTube, we're not the first company to create content for this, and we're definitely not the last. So we promise we're not going to repeat everything that you're already hearing out there today. DemandGen U is officially in session. Let's do it. So before I let you get on your soapbox, Jason, I'm going to get on my soapbox for a second to kick this episode off. Personally, I think creating demand and capturing demand are textbook examples of things that B2B marketers are overcomplicating. Because for me, I look at creating demand as really just good brand awareness. And I look at capturing demand as good lead gen and not lead gen in a ebook download sense, but lead gen in a qualified demo or, or sales request. What do you think? Yeah, I mean, um, it wouldn't be it wouldn't be right if we didn't like just take something super simple and try and overcomplicate it, because like then what would our bosses think that we're doing, you know, or like, wait, this has been it all along. So, but I have to be doing something new. So let's call it something else and keep doing the same thing. Um, sounds something like account-based marketing to me, but, um, but you know, I don't know. So, uh, so yeah, it's, um, you know, of course it's more nuanced than that, which we'll get into today, but it is not complicated. It's not a complicated, it's not a complicated concept. It's, you know, supply and demand if you really get to it you know so like you want to you want people to have you want there to be some demand for your product just like if you were a b2c brand and how do you get that demand you know sometimes you got to create it uh and how do you create it you know lots of different ways and then sometimes you know it's sitting out there and looking for you and you just have to capture it so yeah it's uh it's very simple but um well, maybe we'll hopefully we won't. We won't overcomplicate. I'm We're not, not really going to let you. For, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> to let you overcomplicate it. But what's funny is this is one of those topics. I think it first came up on State of Demand Gen maybe a year or two years ago. But when I was doing some research to put the outline together, the first record that I came across of this being talked about was all the way back in 2016, crazy enough. And it was on a LinkedIn Pulse article. I don't even know if LinkedIn Pulse is still a thing, (laughs) uh, which I thought was pretty funny that it's been around for a while and it's really just caught on within the last year or two. Yeah. um, I don't remember. I mean, I've always heard demand creation, but demand capture, I don't remember. I don't I know the first time I heard that was probably in the last two years for sure since having this, you know, since taking this job. Um, so I don't know. I would, I guess I would have just, I probably just put it all together in demand generation. You know what I mean? And then I probably just fit, you know, brand awareness and lead, you know, lead gen is probably how I just thought about it. But, uh, yay, we have a new ways to talk about it now with both. They have the word demand in front of it, you know? Yeah. Now it's like, it's a marketing thing, right? Oh, it's, you know, it's branded now. It's, it's demand creation and demand capture. Yeah, I don't know. So we'll try and help everybody out. We'll try to help everybody out with this one. So before we jump into it, one thing that I do want to talk through, we mentioned it on a previous DGU episode, but I think it's perfect context for this topic today is the framework that Eugene Schwartz came up with for five stages of awareness. I actually was looking up his book. I think it came out in the 60s last night. Oh, wow. He, or 
you know, his family or whoever's getting the money, they're still selling that thing for 125 bucks in 2022. Like a hardback version or what? (laughs) I mean, I don't know, but I may expense this and we'll see. Yeah. Kindle for 120 bucks. (laughs) Yeah. It better be uh, like a hardcover version or something. I don't know if I've ever paid $125 for a book that wasn't a college textbook, but that's a different (laughs) soapbox. Thankfully, you can still get Eugene Schwartz's five stages of awareness for free online. And I do like this framework. So we'll run through the framework real quick and then we'll start to talk about creating demand and, and capturing demand. Uh, in relation to these stages. So the first stage, unaware. They aren't aware of their desire or their need to solve the problem, or they won't honestly admit it. Problem aware. They know they have a problem to solve, but aren't aware of any specific solutions. Solution aware. They know there is a solution to their problem, but they don't know of any specific products to solve it. Product aware. They know that your product exists, but aren't completely aware of all that it does, or they aren't convinced of how well it does it. And then most aware, they know of your product and what it does, but haven't gotten around to actually buying it yet. So I'll pause there. Give me your take on Eugene Schwartz. Yeah, I mean, you know, I've known about this framework for a long time. I didn't know it was from the 60s. That actually is pretty cool because I've put myself in this framework several times and it, this is it, this is it, you know, like this is actually how it happens, you know? And so, um, so I really like, you know, I really like that. And it does give you a really clear way, um, to segment, you know I mean? Like to segment your market because what you're trying to do, and we'll get into this is you probably need different messaging, you know, at each of these stages, you definitely do, you know, but, um, uh, but yeah, this is a great framework and, some, you know, you've, there's others out there, you know, there's others out there that take this and like put a different spin on it. Some go all the way to like advocacy, you know what I mean? Like they go down to most aware into purchasing and advocacy for your brand. And I don't know if there's anything above unaware, but so yeah, I've seen a couple different versions of this, but this is, yeah, this is solid. I think why I like this framework best is it focuses more on the psychology and like the people behind it, because oftentimes, you know, when you see buyer journeys and I'm using heavy air quotes here, It's not really a buyer journey because it's inwardly focused on you and your company and what the company is doing. And then two, it kind of assumes that not kind of, it does assume that that buyer journey is linear in some ways. And you and I and every other B2B marketer knows that the buyer journey is not linear. And uh, I think this does a better job of summarizing how people think and feel throughout that process. Yeah. And I think, you know, this one is fairly linear because it's so broad, you know what I mean? And it makes sense. But within each of those, it's like, it's all over. It could go all over the place, you know, how you get from one to the next. And you probably, there's probably cases where you skip, you know what I mean? Some stages in this as well, or you can skip. Um, but yeah, I think, uh, anyone really thinking about taking your prospects in a full funnel approach, like this is just has to be this has to be like gospel in your brain, something, some version of this. Awesome. Now that we've got that out of the way, let's talk about how we look at creating demand and capturing demand. And then we'll, we'll riff on how we're trying to do each at metadata right now too. Sound good? Yeah, let's do it. All right. Let's get into creating demand first. So for creating demand, what would you say that your goals are as you know the marketer or the company? What are you trying to do when you're creating demand? Yeah, um, I mean, the first thing is just driving awareness. 
Um, and and I guess you know what I'm talking about. I'm talking about driving demand for my product now. Um, and to drive demand for my product, people have to know it's out there. And so, like the first thing I'm thinking about is uh, how do I get some awareness? Um, and then once I have awareness, then how do I get to preference? Um, and and basically, like how do I get to occupy? as much of my potential buyer's mind as possible. Um, and there's, of course, lots of different ways to do this. But, you know, from a goals perspective, I'm really trying to say, like, okay, how many people did I make aware? Um, we could even go up one. Like, how many people did I help understand they have a problem and then make aware of my, you know, so it kind of follows some of these stages a little bit. Um, yeah, and then how do I get that? Like, I don't know what's, what's the goal for appeal. You know what I mean? Like I want to be appealing. Uh, I want to stand out. Um, I want to show that we're different, you know? And so, um, I don't know. Yeah. Goals in terms of metrics. That's uh, that's an interesting one. Um, well, I think goals and metrics, I look at them differently here. Cause I think goals in this stage for me is trying to, move your buyers really from unaware to problem aware. I know you jumped right into product, but I would look at it more as, you know, how do you market the category or the problem set and bringing awareness to that first and getting people to smile and nod and say like, yes, you get me. I didn't realize I had this problem. This is a way bigger deal than I thought that it was. And, you know, here's how you can start solving for that problem and then introduce your product later on uh, just so you don't jump to product right away. Cause I, I think it's different. I think when, yeah. you know, I made the the brand awareness comment at the beginning, it's not market your company or market your product and, and call that creating demand. It's marketing the category. It's bringing awareness to these problems. It's leading with value without asking for anything in return. And, you know, it's, the byproduct of all that is, is really brand awareness because you're being looked at as somebody who's who's helping them and not really asking for anything yet because you will ask for something later. Yeah, you're right. I mean, it really is right. So like if if you can get so in creating demand, you're basically creating a pool of people that could be potential buyers for your product. And to do that, yeah, you're right. You You need to get them how do you create a new pool of buyers? Well, you create a new pool of people that have the problem that your, pro- your product solves. Um, and you're not creating the problem for them. You're like it says, you're, you're making you're, them aware that they pointing have it out. Yeah. Yeah. And so it's like, and here's where it gets into the psychology a little bit because, well, if you have a problem, don't you know, you have one, you know, like if you're having a problem, don't you know, like, Hey, I've got a problem here. Well, actually that's not the case. Right. So like, it's really not the case at all. Um, we are all going about our lives, you know what I mean? And we all have problems and we are blind to a lot of them. And that's the same thing in business. Um, and so, and it's because we just, we get complacent maybe. I don't know if that's the right word. That's probably not the right word, but we get, we accept the reality of like what we're doing today. And we're just like, this is how we do it. And so then maybe you make up, you know what I mean? You, you you do other things to like make up for the problem that you have or avoid it. You know what I mean? And, 
So you kind of make your way, but not realizing like, oh, there is this thing over here that's maybe not as shiny as everything else. There's this blemish on things that are going on. And if I knew what that was, um, maybe I could fix it and maybe I could make things better. Um, And so it's really around like, it's really getting in there and like, okay, they, they're just kind of heads down. So how do I break them out of that? Like, hey, this is how we do it. Because that's really strong, right? That's a strong hold. It's like a rut, right? Like you just get used to it. It's habit. Humans are very much habit-like focused. And so it's hard to break people from that. Um, and so that's that first thing. Like how do you break people from like, hey, what I'm doing is okay. Um, and also then you're starting to tease into like a little bit of the... Um, like, you're telling me I don't know my problems, you know, so you have to be careful in that, too. You don't want to be like, I know what's best for you. You don't know what's best for you, but I do. You know, and you definitely don't want to get in there. So it's a really nuanced, like, how do I make them aware of this as a company that can solve their problem? Not exploiting it, you know what I mean? Not making them feel less than or unintelligent because they don't know it, you know what I mean? So it's a really interesting, like, you got to really, it's a, it's a soft step into it. So we'll get into that. Uh, in two sections from now, but stop peeking ahead at the outline. Uh, <laughs> I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> so let's flip the same question. So first it was, what are you know the, your goals as a marketer or as the company? But in this stage, what are your buyer's goals? Like, what are they trying to do? If they're unaware completely... Um, then they don't know. Um, so they're just trying to like, and it of course depends on where your solution, what problems it solves, et cetera. But uh, the assumption is that your buyer is always trying to be better. You know what I mean? What they do, whatever it is that they're doing, whatever it is you're trying to sell. So the assumption is like your buyer wants to get better. And so then if you're, if you are the buyer, you know, and if you're kind of like, you're thinking, okay, how can I, I'm going to make the assumption that now that you're a little bit problem aware, because if you're just completely unaware, then you're just like, your head's down, you're doing your same thing. And you're not really, you don't really have goals. Your general goal is I want to get better at what I do. Um, I want to do better for the company. Um, but once you're problem aware, then you're like, okay, this is kind of how I'm solving it today. It's probably manual or like, you know, it takes a lot of time or it's just not getting solved. It's getting avoided. So... This is how I'm doing it today. What can I do differently to reduce the amount of time I'm doing it, make it more accurate, make it more consistent, you know, just like fix this area. Um, so your mindset is like, how can I spend less time on this problem? Probably, you know, like how can I spend less time, fewer resources um, and do a better job in whatever this area is? Yeah, I mean, I think you said it best at the start. It's just there's a desire to be better. And I think in this uh, these first few stages, it's really the focus on just trying to educate yourself and staying on top of things before they actually become, you know, problems or they become trends and you just want to have a pulse as far as what's out there. And I think in order to do that, you're just constantly consuming content in your spare time, whether it's podcasts, whether it's LinkedIn, whether it's anywhere else you go for information and you're just trying to get free help really i think at that that beginning you know stage or two because you didn't know that you had a problem maybe you're now problem aware 
And maybe you're not ready to make an investment to solve that problem, but that still doesn't mean that you're not trying to seek out free advice from, you know, people that you trust, influencers, communities, you name it, as you move through those stages. Yeah, 100%. So it's probably the lazy person that like immediately looks for a technology solution. You know what I mean? So it's like... (laughs) Oh, they um, just look at a Gartner Wave or... or, Yeah, they're just like, oh... Oh, I got this problem. What, you know, what can I buy to solve it? You know, and I think that's a trap so many people fall into. They, you know, this is a whole other episode, but they buy technology to like solve problems and they don't fix whatever internal thing, you know what I mean? Like is broken first, you know, so technology, um, yeah, we won't get into that too much, but that is what happens. I think a lot of times. Um, and so the non-lazy buyer, they're, yes, they're going to see like, okay, what do other people like me do to solve this? You know, are there things I can do, like you said, that are, don't cost me money? Can I just change my process a little bit? You know, um, are there just, are there things out there I don't, I never, I would have never known about, you know what I mean? Like, um, uh, yeah, and maybe I can find those out. And so, yeah, so I'm looking for content. I'm looking for probably not influencers, but people that I respect that do my job well, what do they do? How do they solve this problem? Um, and so, yeah, I'm out there searching. I'm searching for, um, again, if you're the good marketer, I'm searching for solutions I can employ myself or maybe, you know, get a little automation going. Um, yeah. So, yeah, you're exactly right. So I think this is a big thing that many people overlook or just aren't familiar with. But what do you think you need in order to do this well when it comes to creating demand? Because it's we just did an episode on this, so I'll see how well you're paying attention to which episodes were recorded. <laughs> Gosh. So what do we need to create demand well? Like like what needs to be in place? Like like what is the one of the like not one of the I would say it's the most important ingredient in creating demand. Oh, oh boy. Um huh. Um, I mean, honestly, picking one, I would say it has to be like your, um, how do I even say this? I have it in my mind, but like, it has to be authentically trying to help your potential buyer agnostic if they buy your platform or not. So... For me, the most important part of creating demand is building trust and relationship with your potential buyers, which means you're providing content, experiences, etc. that can help them do their job better without buying your product. Um, And ideally, it's in the same vein as your product, so you're not just helping them with some random thing over here, and then like you can never sell them something, you know, that can help them, but in the same vein of what your product solves, but you're helping them with like, here's some other ideas. Here's what other people do. Here's the things we do. Seven steps for this. You know, and you're being, you're, you're, you're helping them say like, Hey, you can do this on your own. By the way, there's some platform out there that can help you. But if you need to do this on your own and not just that, but like, and then generally other areas. So like your platform probably solves one of many problems that your marketer has. And so, or sorry, your buyer, not necessarily your marketer. Um, so if you can also give them content experiences that goes even out a set concentric circle from where your product solves, um, and it gives them value, um, that also, you know, you're creating demand. 
Um, did I get it right? Mm, I'm going to give you a B minus. Everything <laughs> that you said is true, but I don't think it's like the most important ingredient. The most important right, ingredient you is you you need to have a point of view. You know, mm. you call it a strategic narrative, call it your point of view. You need to have something that people can't argue with. I mean, they can't argue it, but they can't argue that it's happening. And if they don't join this movement that they weren't already aware of, there are winners and losers. And you need to make it very clear to them that if you jump on the the bandwagon, this is what will happen. And if you don't jump on the bandwagon and you get left behind, this is what's also going to happen. So I think that's really the biggest thing because so many companies, you know, whether it's a B2B MarTech company or just B2B SaaS, they try to create demand without actually having a point of view about the market. And if you don't have that, it's kind of tough to stick out. Yeah, no, you're right. Um, Because then you just sound the same as everybody else. Yeah. So if you're talking about it, yeah, if you're like, oh, you know, you're saying the exact same thing as everybody else, you don't have anything unique, then it's like, oh, you you put yourself, yeah, you you basically put yourself in a pool, well, small pond with a lot of fish, I guess. Yeah, that's a good way to say it. Um, And you're not like, you know, you're not that fish jumping out of the water, you know, and like making waves and, you know, uh, showing yourself off with your unique perspective. So, yeah. And then also like, because if you have the same perspective, then your buyers probably like the psychological part is like, oh, I, don't, I can't really learn much from them. You know what I mean? Because like I already heard that three, four other times. So maybe the rest of the things they're going to say, too, are also going to be things that I've heard before. Um, and so if you don't have that as even like one of the first impressions, you know what I mean, of your your prospect. Oh, these guys have a unique perspective on this. I agree with that. I can, you know, like you said, I'm nodding my head like, yes, finally. You know, it's kind of like, yes, finally somebody gets me. You know, somebody gets it. Exactly. Um, yeah. And that does create a lot of connection for sure. If you've been watching these videos, know that Jason just got a new camera and that was the first time where it's been sliding around as you've been moving. So I wasn't moving around. I have my, my camera blocked. Oh, Hollywood shit. now. Yeah. All right. So I actually have a person back there. Yeah. yeah. It's actually a private person I hired. <laughs> They're just moving the camera around for me. <laughs> They're doing a bad job at it. Uh, all right. So we talked about what you need to do this well. Let's talk about channels and channels that you... And I was very particular with how I worded this channels that you should experiment with when it comes to creating demand, because every channel is not going to work for every B2B company or every B2B marketer. There's a time and a place for some of these. But what are some of those first channels that come to mind for you? I mean, it's like, hey, where are your where are these people going to be searching for or looking for this type of thing? So. And then if you're still in the unaware, like you're still just trying to make people aware, it's just where do your prospects hang out generally? You know what I mean? Like, where are they? Uh, In our lovely B2B world, you know, it's usually LinkedIn is always in there. Um, But in this like really unaware stage, um, some of the broader channels might also be helpful, like Facebook, you know, Instagram. Um, And of course, these are paid, you know, I'm talking paid primarily right now. Um, search obviously you know like search is a really big one Um, usually in that obviously like the problem aware stage um, because they're searching for like things um, around their problem but yeah I mean 
it could be any channel, but like the channel should be one where, you know, they can engage with something, I, you know, the more they can engage and like consume something within the channel and not have to like go from an ad to a site, you know what I mean? To consume it. So like the quicker you can get people to it, the better. So there's just some considerations, but like really any channel, um, uh, any, any place where you, you know, where people are actually consuming things, consuming content, looking at things. I mean, shit. You could even do some in connected TV. You know what I mean? Like, absolutely. Connected TV, you could. So, um, lots of channels. Uh, I'm talking, I've talked mostly paid, but what do you got on, like... Yeah, I'd probably go a different direction here. And I would think of what are the channels that are a little more of, like, a safe space, if you will. And I say safe space in a sense that you know you're not going to be hounded by a sales rep or somebody if you're not really actively looking just yet so specifically communities podcasts you know potentially events depending on the event that you're interested in going to and then you mentioned linkedin earlier i think for us yes we spend a ton of time on our company page for linkedin organic but also it's the employee advocacy side of it too which i think is even more important than the company page, because then you may, you know, start to see some of these faces from metadata or from whatever company it may be. And those people who you're following and they're actively posting, they start to make you, you know, problem aware. And then as they're educating you about the problem, then they subtly start to introduce solutions like metadata and you start to see it you know, marketer to marketer or peer to peer. Uh, whereas the old way of doing this was relying on the company to provide you all that information or the sales team holding as much information as they could before they got you on the phone. And then, you know, they'd reveal everything then. Whereas now, I mean, when you talk to a salesperson, you kind of have to assume that you've got 80% of the information already gathered yourself. Like it's, it's different. Yeah. I mean, the more of this that you can, seed in outside of paid the better um you know you're really trying to educate people you're trying to like we've said make them at least somewhat pain aware um and so like getting it yeah the connections right so if you can get people talking about it um and it's people that they trust um that's the holy grail, you know, like the social proof that we really want. But, and yeah, like you said, communities can potentially deliver that well. Um, yeah, and like, how do you how do you get more of this in the conversation, you know, so you're not having to pay for it, really? You know, make it part of the conversation. Well, yes, yes and no on the, your paid comment, because there are certain paid channels, and we'll get to capturing demand here in a second, that are straight up demand capture channels. But if you approach paid social in a non-direct response way and you're marketing your category or trying to lead with value without actually promoting your company, you're ungating things, you're giving away a lot without asking for really anything just yet in return. I think paid social is perfect for creating demand. It's just you can't expect every single ad to be a direct response ad that then results in a demo. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a good way to, you know, your organic stuff. Um, 
unless it goes super viral for some reason, you know, and every once in a while you'll have something that like that. Uh, you're the same exact people are going to see it, you know, because like it's the people that are following you. It's the and you're you know you're going to get incremental gains on that. Um, you know, your company page followers, like you said, people that are on LinkedIn from your company, um, posting, etc. Um, but yeah, paid is the way to get in front of new people um, and uh, and really start to get them familiar with your brand, get that content in front of them. And then they're like, oh, OK, great. Uh, this was valuable to me. This came from metadata. Uh, and that starts to build that trust. So, yeah, paid to get in front of some new people. And ideally, you know, if the content is good, that person you grab from paid now follows you, you know, and now you can you know, deliver it to them uh, free, basically, you know, through your just your your organic distribution channels. I dig it. So let's switch over to capturing demand. And I think capturing demand is where B2B marketers spend most of their time. And I also want to make everyone aware that the only way or really the the best way to create opportunities for yourself and for your team to create demand is if you really nail the capturing demand part first. So yes, we're doing a whole like ton on the brand side with metadata right now and we feel like we're on the cusp of something awesome but the only way that we were able to get ourselves in that position in the first place was if we nailed the capturing demand part so if you do this well then you can worry about creating demand but if you jump in right away and just worry about creating demand you're going to be you know the marketing leader that's in that stat for how short their tenure is yeah yeah and we talk about this a lot a lot of people are you know it's like You've got to you've got to come in and prove that you can drive demand, and um, you want to get those wins under your belt. Um, and often, the best way to do that is through like straight. I mean, yeah, just straight demand capture, performance marketing kind of tactics, growth marketing tactics, where you're just trying to you're trying to use data. You're trying to get. You're basically trying to get people to go from cold through warm, you know, as fast as possible, but people that are already pain aware. They're already like knowing they need a solution. Maybe they already have one, you know what I mean? They already have a solution and they're not happy with it. Um, And so, uh, yeah, I can't remember what what the actual question was getting into it because I started talking about this other thing. uh, You can't remember it because I didn't ask one just yet. But first question, Ah. what would you say your goals are as a marketer or at, at the company level for capturing demand? Yeah, so this is like, you're trying to get people to a demo. You know, you're trying to basically, you know, your um, your goals as a company is to, yeah, really get somebody to a, a meeting, get them deeper into the understanding of your product, opportunities. You know, this is the low funnel. This is the low funnel stuff now. Um, this is when you're starting to look at revenue metrics, you know, leads, maybe hopefully not leads, but demo requesters. <laughs> um, yeah, we can maybe talk about that a little bit, you know, like mm-hmm. what SDRs have to do versus, you know, marketers, et cetera. But um, really from a company, yeah, I need leads. I need pipeline. I need opportunities. Yeah, I think to go back to the Eugene Schwartz framework, I think it's moving your audience and your buyers from when they're problem aware to solution aware and and finally to product aware. And it's being ready for them when they are ready to start evaluating products and services like your company or whatever you sell. Uh, Because at that stage, 
they're actually showing intent to start evaluating something or buying something. So it's, it's being there, it's being ready, it's making it as easy as possible on your buyer to request a demo, get more information, talk to your sales team, whatever it may be. And then the, the real, I'd say, detail uh, and the companies that do this well are how well they have the process defined internally to then respond to that and respond to that as quickly as possible. Yeah, I mean, um, yeah, I don't really have anything to add on that one. Um, so what would you say? Yeah, move, moving them. <laughs> what would you say you need to do this well? And this can be um, like internally focused or externally focused too. So let's see. There's a lot of things. I mean, I think generally this is an area where you want to be you want to be good and fast with using data to determine like what's working and what's not. Um, these are areas usually where you know when you're in the capture side. Um, a lot of the things you're trying to do are digitally trackable, you know what I mean? Um, and optimizable, I guess, you know? Um, so you want to, so what do you need? You know, you need to have a good experimental mindset. You need to be good with data and quick feedback loops. Um, and then that's like on the technical side. And then I think on like what you're actually putting out in the market, you need to have, you need to have basically like, content reasons to show why you should be the number one consideration. You know what I mean? As they're, as they're looking at, at different solutions. Um, so you need to have good content and you need to show up well and have differentiation between your competitors and you need to be able to be clear about what those are. Um, and then all the way down to like, this is an area where personalization really helps too. So now you really want to personalize, you know, so you got to be good at I'd say, what do you need? You got to be good at personalization, which is kind of goes back to data, being good with data. Yeah, I think the two other things that I would add would be one, having legit third party validation that usually comes in the form of reviews. So having reviews in the first place is a great place to start on G2 or TrustRadius or whatever it may be. And also a process, uh, usually on the CSM side, for getting those existing reviews updated getting new reviews and making sure that you're constantly getting more third-party validation because that's what people are looking for at the end of the day. And then the second thing that I would mention is, is internally focused. And that's the process part for, you know, somebody requests a demo, whether that's through a form or a chatbot or whatever it may be, and they are responded to quickly. It's not painful with qualification. They are don't have to jump through hoops to actually see your product. It's painless on their end. And you, there's a whole lot of work that, that goes on behind the scenes to make it look painless because it's not painless internally, but it needs to look painless externally. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah. Anything you can do to like really, like you said, make that experience efficient, you know, be there when they need you with what they need from you. Um, not be pushy, but yeah, like you said, let them take themselves through it and make sure you're there when and where they need you with the content that they need to get, you know, to keep going. Um, and respect that, like, 
they can make their own decisions, you know what I mean? And kind of take that, that approach. But, um, but yeah, all this is really kind of erring towards, um, yeah, it's really like that, that selection, you know what I mean? Like kind of erring towards selection, you know, we know they're going to choose something. So like, what do we, what do we need to put in front of them? Where do we need to be so that they choose us? So we're always trying to include at least one, hopefully way more than one practical thing in each episode. One of the things that we've done recently is audit the experience from your buyer's perspective of booking a demo and wherever you can fill out a form or a chatbot or a conversation ad, whatever it may be, and truly mapping out that process and seeing how archaic it might be. It may have worked at one point, six, 12 months later, it probably doesn't work nearly as good as it, it used to. And just being aware of where the friction is in that process, because that's something that we're going through right now. And we're constantly trying to, you know, remove friction from. Yeah. Yep. Yep. The better the buyer experience, you know, the, again, that, that the experience is a big part of it, you know? So like the product is one thing. Yes. Product. Great. But that's one part of the buyer's decision-making process. You know what I mean? Um, and often when there's so many tools and so many of them are so close, you know what I mean, to each other, um, you can stand out a lot with your process, your the experience that you give people. Um, and that can actually like tip the hat towards your direction, you know, in some cases. You know, so it's important to focus on that too and not just like, hey, I got a great product. Uh, why aren't you buying it? You know, but paying attention to that experience as well. Oh, yeah. Now, last part that we need to cover, we talked about channels that you should experiment with when it comes to capturing demand. What are the, the first channels that come to mind for you? Um, yeah, capture. I mean, the first one that does come to mind is paid search, really. And the only reason is because, like, usually, you know, people are searching for their pain. You know what I mean? They're, like, searching for – they're basically telling you, you know, like um, – they're telling you where they are. And they're kind of telling you almost where they are in their – in that – uh, in those stages, you know, based on what they're searching for. Um, and so, yeah, so search, like people are literally searching for, you know, metadata compared to, you know, metadata versus X, you know, or your platform versus Y they're literally searching for that. You know, that's really deep. Um, but above that they're searching for like, how do I generate, you know, for us, how do I, I don't know, how do I get, how do I do, how do I do paid ads more efficiently or how do I generate more leads? You know what I mean? Or something like that. And that's what we're looking for. Uh, but yeah, paid search just is like, I feel like uh, the A number one that comes to mind on the capture, even if, I mean, and we're actually not doing it here very much uh, at all, but for a lot of companies that tends to be the, the A number one, I think. Yeah. And I think paid search really depends on the, the industry and your audience at the end of the day. My hunch is that because we're marketing to marketers, they're a little weary of paid search ads. And I think they're, they know how the game works. And I think they go (laughs) elsewhere to find that information. The other channels that come to mind for me, first being review sites, uh, and the third, or sorry, the second being intent data, which I haven't really talked about too much, because then, you know, as long as you have something cough, cough metadata to help you activate that intent data and get in front of those people when they're in market without doing all the manual repetitive work, that is something that you should experiment with. Uh, It works for some people, depending on the the intent data source. It doesn't work for everyone. And then I also look at, uh, we talk about CRO internally from time to time, uh, but your website should be 
you know, your number one product marketing asset and it should convert as such. So we're constantly looking at, uh, we use qualified on our site now uh, for chat. So we're looking at the questions that we're, that we're asking people, the order of those questions, how many questions, and again, trying to figure out where that friction is. So I would say anywhere where people can convert and request a demo, book a meeting, get more info, you name it, like look at those conversion points and see how you can make it easier to capture demand. Yeah, yeah, website. Um, yeah, so um, lots of like lots of places to, I mean, pretty much any channel you can turn into a demand capture channel almost, I would say. Um, but yeah, there's definitely gonna be ones that work for some and don't work for others. Like we said, we're not doing paid search really. Um, and if we are, it's not really on high intent keywords, you know, it's brand and competitive probably. And so, um, cause we've tried it and it doesn't quite work for us. Um, but it's not other dead. Companies are, it, it just means it didn't work for us. <laughs> yeah, no, not at all. Not dead. Like some companies more than 50% of their, you know, their, uh, low funnel demand comes from paid search. I've worked at several of them tend to be larger companies, I think, you know, but, um, but, uh, but yeah. Awesome. Well, I think we are just about at time here. This was uh, the solid riffing session on capturing demand and uh, creating demand. So hopefully you guys took something away from this. Uh, thanks for coming out to Demand Gen U. We'll see you next week. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Demand Gen U. If you want to hear more, make sure to subscribe to get future episodes. You can also submit a specific topic you want us to talk about by DMing us on LinkedIn. If you like the show or want to share feedback, please leave us a review. It'll help us keep improving and get the word out to other marketers just like you. This podcast is brought to you by Metadata, the first demand generation platform that launches paid campaigns that self-optimize to revenue. If you're looking for a tool that makes it easier for you to build audiences, launch paid campaigns, and experiment at scale, you'll love Metadata. B2B marketers at Zoom, Okta, and ThoughtSpot use metadata to automate the time-consuming parts of running paid campaigns so they can focus on the things that matter.